The University of Central Florida Office of Diversity and Inclusion brings you Matters of Diversity with Dr. V. With your host, Dr. S. Kent Butler. And our guest, Dr. M.C. Santana. And now, Dr. B. Hotep, and happy Women's History Month to you all. I hope everyone is doing okay, and I appreciate you being a part of today's Matters of Diversity with Dr. B. Today, we are going to stay on our topic of dealing with how we appreciate and love the women in our lives and how we so much appreciate this month that has been attributed to women. And with that, we have a very special guest today uh, coming to us straight from UCF. It's Dr. MC Santana. She came to us in 1995, serving in several colleges and units on our campus. She has been the director of women's and gender studies that program since 2009. She teaches at the undergraduate and graduate levels, courses like Women, Race, and Struggle. That'll be a great conversation today to talk about. Global Women in Crisis, First and Second Wave of Feminism, Introduction to Women's Studies, and Gender and Community Activism. Dr. Santana is an avid reader of historical fiction. She's a gardener a photographer, and an activist. So with that, let's say hello. How are you? Hi, how are you, Ken? Thanks for having me. I'm glad you were able to be a part of this. Uh, I think we've been trying to get you on this podcast for some time now, and we finally are able to work out a date. Um, so it's great to have you, especially um, given the work that you do and your drive and your passion. Um, so can you kind of talk a little bit about maybe the significance of Women's History Month to you and maybe what UCF should be doing um, with regards to making sure that we celebrate um, not just this month, but always the women who are part of the UCF community? Well, I think, you know, Women's Month should be every day. I mean, we live in a community surrounded by women. And we are really a part, a pivotal part of anything that happens in society. UCF has done a tremendous uh, work. We have been celebrating uh, Equal Pay Day for the last four years. Mm -hmm. um, we're creating awareness about the unfairness of women receiving less pay, particularly minority women. And, uh, and other units as well has contributed. Uh, we are interdisciplinary, as you know. So most of our events for the month are dealing with our affiliates and different areas within um, our community in UCF. So we were very heavy at uh, collaborating and, and making coalitions across campus and with our community members as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Women's Studies Program has a lot of great programming going on this month uh, already, and we've been looking to start advertising for, for that as well. And so is there any in particular that you want to highlight right now? Well, we have one on uh, Tuesday, um, March 23rd at 10.30, and we're showcasing faculty uh, of um, Latinx descent. 
So our whole festival is called Voces Latinx, which is Latinx Voices. Mm -hmm. And then on that Thursday, the 25th, we have an Afro Latinx roundtable with artists and writers dealing with uh, the, the message of being a woman of color nice. uh, and celebrating Women's Month. So that's another uh, extraordinary. And then on Wednesday at 1230, we have a class showcasing student work on Latinx perspectives, um, uh, men and women. So we're excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I read through those and then they look like they're gonna be a good time, good time will be had by all. Um, and I think the, the important piece of it is that people should come and be ready to learn, right? And be able to kind of take it in, soak it all in, and then utilize it in the ways that best suit them in terms of what they're doing in their world, right? So um, I really appreciate that. Um, so what got you started? Uh, because every faculty member, every person who's gotten their doctorate has, you know, a passion area, the reason why they went into that particular route um, to, to kind of gain knowledge and become expert in that area. Your expertise is in the women, is in women and gender studies. What led you in that direction? I think I should confess that I come from a long line of women and I didn't know how strong they were until I joined the rest of the world and realized, oh my gosh, you don't mess up with my mom or my aunt or my older sister, okay. you don't mess up with those women. Um, so I was very comfortable feeling that women were in control and power and feeling uh, very determined to be a leader. Um, I have been uh, servicing my community many different levels since I was a child. Right. So for me, it's very, it's very comfortable to think of other groups and to integrate myself in other areas. So uh, being a woman, it's almost like, you know, drinking water. Everybody needs it. Everybody needs a woman. So, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> hydrate you're yourself. You're dropping those kind of bullets today, huh? You're dropping those kind of bullets today. Okay, all if, right. If, if I had right now my bottle of water, it would say hydrate your activism, feminist water, which I'm going to send you one so okay. that you can drink from that bottle from now on. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. That's okay. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I'm definitely with it. So, <laughs> So there are so many misconceptions of that term. How do you define feminism? Feminism to me is empowerment, equality, is freedom, is fairness, is uh, no oppression. Yeah. Once all of that has been done, then we don't need the term anymore. But because we're still in that struggle, I continue to be a feminist until- Why, why, do, why, why are people scared of that term? I think people have uh, misconceptions. They think it's perhaps against men and this has nothing to do with men. It's, it's about empowering all those individuals that represent themselves and identify themselves as women. Okay. Um, so I'm not a, a man hater at all. Um, I think we also need men. We need men also in our uh, trenches because they're part of our community and we yeah. live among uh, uh, themselves. So. I have no problem with that. I, I kind of concentrate more on that woman's side instead yeah. of the male side. Right. But we have classes on theories of masculinities, for example, yeah. to, to kind of understand what our culture does to men and how they educate men to be to, to perform their gender, yeah. which uh, sometimes is very problematic. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think it's a way maybe for men to kind of 
stay in a position of what they think or perceive to be controlled um, to kind of dismiss um, the, the brilliance or the, you know, what a woman brings to the table. You know, when I think back, even on my own, my own life experiences, like you, um, I had strong grandmother. Um, my mother was definitely a very strong woman. Um, and she did a lot of things, right? She held down mm-hmm. um, the family um, and was able to do all those things that helped us to be successful in our own walk. And so why not celebrate that and, and, and put that not necessarily on a pedestal, but putting it in, in, in perspective of how all of us kind of interconnect and um, make this world thrive, right? And so, um, so I appreciate that part of it. Are there, um, were there other role models in your life other than your parents and um, your grandparents, um, your aunts and your sister that kind of spoke to you? I would say that almost every woman that I have learned in history has spoken to me um, because their voices many times were not kept or not uh, documented. Even, even in my class right now in Women, Race and Struggle, in our current class, we, we're celebrating Black History Month. And I said, I'm not going to give you Harry Tubman. Okay, I'm going to give you Mary Church Terrell because I want you to think about her in education. Yeah. Think about her uh, married to an attorney and think about everything that she tried to do in her, uh, in her, in her time after uh, the suffrage was passed. Right. And, and how being an educated Black woman really put her in a position of power. Yes. N- not perfect, but in a position of power at the time. And my students were thanking me. And, and we used the Library of Congress primary materials. So they had to look at her, at her schedule book, at her correspondence, at, at her speeches to understand the women. One exercise they would never forget. So every time I come across a woman in history, that woman just becomes mine. It becomes very special. Nice, nice. So that's really good because then that's what you're sharing is that you're open to allowing these people to feed into you, right? And to how you see the world and how it kind of defines your steps moving forward in, in regards to that. Yeah, that's true. And I think everybody has an opportunity to have a voice. And if you have power, allow them that power to push forward those that don't have a voice. So yes. take yourself out of the equation and push them forward. Make them be the resource and the source of the information. And that's why we really build the, a healthy community. Hmm. Hmm. So when you think about women in areas of politics per se, um, <laughs> what's your perspective on that? And, and how has it changed maybe with the um, ceiling being broken a little bit with um, Vice President Kamala Harris? I think we're, we're on the right track. We're behind, we're very, very behind. Around the world, women have, you know, the prime ministers. So um, I think more and more women are running and we should really support women candidates. We should put our money, even if it's $5, behind a woman. Women bring in different perspectives. It's about time. I mean, there's committees that, that everybody sitting is a male and they're considering issues that are about women. Yes. And that's that's very unfortunate and it is shameful for a country to do that. So that the big. more <clears throat> yes, and the more women can actually run and be elected, the better off we are going to be as a nation. So yeah. we're not there, we're not there, 
we need to, I encourage my students and I say, you never know in 10 years, somebody comes to you and say, you're phenomenal. I love your personality and your charisma. Would you run for commissioner? And I say, you know the answer, right? Yes, Dr. Santana. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. That's, that's a very important piece. And that's, that, that goes to mentoring. And it also goes to helping people find their strengths. You know, one of the things in the counseling world is that there's this thing called the Johari's window. And in the Johari's window, there are blocks. And in these different blocks, there are things we know about ourselves and there are things that we don't know about ourselves. And so many times our mentors see the things that we don't see. Mm-hmm. And they help us to push those things forward and share with us how we can then embrace that and make it something that we change to another window, the window of opportunity, the, uh, the window that we can actually see ourselves within, right? And so um, there's so many blind spots that I think people have when it is about what they can bring to the table because you know we haven't been socialized in that manner. I, I think that um, when we think about women, young children, young girls, we don't always give them the kind of understanding of how powerful they can be, right? The messages that they receive sometimes is that, you know, you should see yourself in this other role and not necessarily the leadership role. And so what does that say to you? How do you resonate with that? Well, I'll tell you two quick stories. One is I had a student um, in women and gender studies and you know, we would chat and she will come to my office and she told me her major, which we were not disclosed. And I looked at her and I said, really, really, you're going to be X. And she say, oh, yes, my family did this. My mother did that, my aunt. And I say, well, I see you as a lawyer. I see you creating policy. I see you defending causes that nobody wants to take. And she said, really? I, really? You see me like that? And I said, absolutely. You're charismatic. You, your personality. Well, guess what? She's a lawyer. She's a lawyer. She came to tell me, I switched my major. I'm going to law school. She is a lawyer. Now we have a voice that can help in the legal profession. Yes. I saw that so clearly when I met her. And, and she didn't see it. She was more like kind of meek and more quiet. And she mm-hmm. said, really? And I'm like, yes, you are powerful. You have yeah. the power. And another quick mention is that we have a mentoring program for seventh grade girls. And we match them with the UCF women. And it goes for a whole academic year. It's for right. STEM. It's, it's on STEM. Yes. But after age seven, girls start questioning themselves. By the time they are in middle school, they are so overwhelmed by all the messages society is giving them about their bodies, their hair, their nails, that they have stopped thinking about their intellect and their mm-hmm. intellectual power. So they start not raising their hand and not being in the front row and not answering the questions. And the teachers are then picking more on the boys and the boys feel more and more secure while the girl feels insecure. What grade level did you um, say? Seventh grade or did you say seven years? Seventh old? grade, they start. No, in seventh grade is when they, they hit the moment of puberty and everything is very complex. Okay. And the messages that the girl receives are so uh, disproportionate problematic for her yes. that she starts questioning. She starts yes. questioning things like her intelligence, her ability. 
the fact that she can be an astronaut. Yes, and she can be the next president of the US. So we grab those girls and we give them mentoring for leadership so that they can decide, yes, I will study math. Yes, I like science and go for it. Excellent. Well, I have a third grader who's coming your way. Got a couple more years. And then very good, very good. So I, I, I'm signing her up. I'm signing her up already. Yes. That's excellent. That's very excellent. So um, I'm quite sure that people come to UCF because of your 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 expertise and the things that you bring to the table. Um, how are you out in the community? How How is your voice heard outside of UCF? And what are some of the things that you're doing? Well, one of the com- uh, organizations, nonprofits that you, we partner is the Farm Workers Association of Florida and the office in Apopka. And we started 12 years ago uh, working with them, putting together a conference every spring called Women to Women, where I am their fundraiser and we found uh, different uh, talent that can come and give them lectures. It's basically a conference for a whole day where we feed them, we take care of their kids, and we have about 150 volunteers. Of course, my students are, are very active in that. And uh, we find them keynote speakers to address whatever issues the farm workers decide on that particular year. So it's, not, it's never an imposition on me. It's more like, tell me what you need. And it, it works in a team. And it's, I mean, it started out of, out of a curiosity. I went to see them because I wanted my students to do kind of like service learning projects with them. And at first they were like, you know, well, who are you and what is it that you want? And, and very quickly it came, it came across that I was not going away. <laughs> so they said, well, we would like to have a conference for women. We had that one years ago, but, you know, it's, it's hard. Nobody really comes through. And I'm like, oh, you don't know. I, I move into action. So yeah. we, we have been doing that for 12 years. It's an excellent program. Now we do toxic tours in Apopka. We talk about environmental racism. And we introduce our students who are not farmers and maybe have never been out in a farm of the plight of the farm worker okay. and, um, and how uh, they are suffering from health issues, from pesticide, what that has happened to them, especially because they are organic pesticides, which remain in their bodies and it remains in the bodies of their children and grandchildren. Yeah. And just making them realize that they are part of our community, that they're not separate from another planet. Nice. That they go to the same CVS pharmacy and buy Q-tips at the same price. We do. Yeah. yeah. But they're making $16,000 a year. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Which is a disparity that no one should have to kind of live through in terms of that. So I, I like the, early on, you talked about um, the pay equity uh, that's here at UCF, but that is something that needs to be more global in terms of how we are recognizing people for the work that they contribute to society. Um, you know, I think about all the struggles that are going on with, you know, we're, we're here grappling about whether or not somebody can get $15 an hour. And, and to me, the story is, should we be able to move in that direction? And then you have these business owners that say, well, then you're, you're affecting my bottom line. You know, if you do this, then you know, that's going to take away my opportunity to have more profit in my pocket is what I hear. But, you know, but nothing in there is altruistic or in the benefit of the people who are, you know, doing the blood, sweat and tears for different organizations, right? You know, there's this 
well, I have to pay more insurance. I have to do this and I have to do that. And it's like, well, these people have committed themselves to your business. Um, $15 an hour shouldn't be that, um, that hard of a pill to swallow. You know, um, you know, how much wealth is, is necessary in some regards, right? That's my thought anyway. Um, what, what comes up for you hearing that? Well, when you mentioned pay rate, I think of, you know, I had an Indonesia uh, speaker coming from uh, the State Department to visit UCF and wanted to talk to me about that. And, and we were, you know, just discussing things. And she goes, what is it that you mean by pay gap? She, she was, because in her country, there's a table that says, if you're a teacher and you have this diploma and these years of experience, you make that. Yes. It doesn't matter your gender, that's it, it's based on your skill and your profession. And so she was taken back that the United States didn't have such table, that we could not guarantee that a nurse will make the same or a teacher will make the same yeah. or a marketing director will make the same because it was not planned uh, so much as a government uh, job. But even in a government today, we have a range. We never have a particular number that says, this is, this is your rank and this is what you made. So it, that interpretation comes in with, I think, greed and gain. And, uh, and that is the mixture that you're talking about that it's so controversial and at the same time, so problematic. Yeah. When you put a price on somebody's head mm. that you are worth this much of money an hour to me. Yeah. And in reality, that person is also responsible for others, is responsible for a home, so yes. that 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 is problematic, um, and at the same and time, it can't move past the poverty rate. You know, the, the no, poverty rate. no, and it's some of the salaries that they're making. You know, you got someone who, and the, I'm not knocking people who who have businesses. I understand it's know-how and some other things, right? But you're profiting and you're getting somewhere. But you have someone who's also helping your business to grow and to be what it needs to be, and you think. And I don't know what you're thinking about them, but to me, it's like you could have much more support of them and what they're and what they're going through. You know, when, you, when I come to think about, it, some people are, are are having four or five jobs, yes, um, to make ends meet. When somebody right. is profiting on this and is living in a big house on the hill and um, has all these things that, in some regards, are extra, right? Everybody would love to have them, but in a, in a real sense. They're extra, and and while this other person is struggling to feed their child, and they come to work for your business every day, you know that's that's pretty problematic. And and think about you're talking about probably a woman who is the head of household, yeah. who is then running to another job, yeah. and then who has somebody covering for her so somebody can pick their child. Yeah. And at the at the end of the day, that person is alone trying to make a living and raising a family or working perhaps with an elderly parent. Right. And it is much more than just one worker. Every, every woman touches seven or eight lives every day. And, and, and without complaining. <laughs> well, with, uh, with the eagerness to, and the willingness to move forward because there's no other choice. No other because choice. Because being the head of household means you are it. Yes. There's no the second round, the second shift, right. that's it. You are the second shift. Yes, that's very powerful. <laughs> very, very powerful. So how do we, in your estimation, change that? What, what, what needs to happen from your point of view? 
I think in all honesty, we need to start thinking that the famous phrase, the breadwinner is for everybody. Mm. And, and it could be an adolescent that is the breadwinner for, for his family or her family. Mm. It's also ageism. It's like we consider young people not able to do much, uh, kind of like uneducated and useless. And in reality, they're, they're not. And the same with older folks, you know, thinking that they're not, their time has passed and we can do anything or benefit from them. Um, that breadwinner has to change. We really have to reverse that uh, cultural uh, representation that we have within our society. Okay. Men need to make more money because they are the head. They mm -hmm. have to sustain others. Yeah. Um, so it, it starts with that. And it also goes to the fact that we are all individuals yes. and that individuals deserve happiness or the pursuit of happiness, right? Mm -hmm. We've heard that from some document before and that we strive to do an honest job and that we should be paid. Because when you think about how much is food in our country, how much is to have equal housing or fair housing in our country, and then you put next to that the amount of money that you can make, it's impossible. You have to, be a, you have, to have a roommate for the next 60 years to help you pay yeah. whatever, whatever you're at. So how, how then can we make those two meet Yes. Well, something has to give. Childcare has to be reasonable. Housing has to be reasonable. Even public transportation. If that employer doesn't want to pay me that amount of money per hour, maybe they can get me a car. And then I don't have to spend money in buying a new car or buying a car that is more reliable. Maybe they can give me gas money. There's ways of, of making that bridge that not necessarily is going to be assigned by the government. And that's mm -hmm. how goodwill yes. built between communities and between the employer and the employee not necessarily having that maybe i cannot pay you that amount my my business is small but you know i'm gonna let you leave so you can go and pick up your child and come back or maybe i'm gonna give you an extra whatever for gas every week there are certain things that will mean to me as your employee that i that you care that, that you care. know that i am struggling wow that's, that's, so just, it's all soft now. <laughs> but it's it's important that people need to think about those things in context of how people live their lives. Uh, you know, if you come from a place of privilege and you don't necessarily recognize that, right? You you've come from a place where the the whole philosophy in in what your upbringing was, what the man was the, was the breadwinner. And that children should know their place, and and you know, and all these different things. If you start to compartmentalize people in that way, and can't think about the humanism that goes into what's happening in other lives, that's, I mean, that's what it means to put yourself in other people's shoes, right? Yeah. Um, because most people don't know the struggle that people are going through because they have not had to live through that, and so then they blame the person for their own situation when in our actuality, they just have not been given the access to be able to be as successful as a person who has had the inheritance to get there, if that makes any sense, right? Um, you know, there's something to be said about someone who goes to college. I take that young person that you talked about who became a lawyer. When 
that person first started out their journey, they were of the mindset that this is the thing that I can do. This is the thing I'm good at. This is what was good in my family. So this is where I'm going to go because they haven't had the vision to be able to see past that. And then when somebody sows into them the ability that they can do this, they can be a lawyer and they say, wow, I can do that. You change someone's history when you do things like that. You, you give them the, the power that you empower them to be able to, to see beyond what they may not have been able to see before. And that changes things, um, especially for somebody who's a first generation student at the college level, you know? So, so that's the part of the mentorship that we should be doing. And I think it's coming out of the women's and gender studies program. So that's a very powerful thing um, that maybe is not always recognized. Well, I think that when you think about mentoring, all of us are mentors. And if we're not, we should. Five minutes a day can change somebody's life. Yeah. So even if the people that you work with and you, you notice something that, that was done really well and you just send a thank you in an email, it is so impersonal nowadays. But then you can send another, you can send a photo, you can send something alive and say, you know, that, that really, I really noticed you today. That, that was really well done. Yeah. And, and as just... It's almost like the same sentence, but it sounds and feels different than yeah. just thank you, comma. Because now thank you is part of the computer, so you just click on that and put oh. tab. And now you're like saying, great idea. But that is also part of recognizing that somebody's doing another job that you need yeah. because they have a responsibility. And at the same time, you acknowledge them. You can't do this every day because it doesn't sound genuine. But you know, we don't do this enough. Oh, we don't do this yeah. enough. And when we do it, it's impersonal, right? Yes, and, and even with the people that we love, even the people in our family, we're, we're living like this all the time and we don't stop and say, wow, you did that great in that test, that, wow. Yeah. Or, you, you know, you cleaned this so well. Thank you for, you know, helping me with changing my oil, which yeah. is something my son used to do. And I miss him now terribly because he's in Kentucky, but <laughs> I have to pay for my oil change. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, uh, yeah. you know, he wanted to learn something. But if I would have said, "Oh yeah, great, thanks," but you know, I, I really took the time. I lay down sometimes in the, you know, in the garage with him to see what he was doing, <laughs> okay. and how how dirty the whole thing is. Yeah, but, yeah. but you know, and then he told me how to do it. Um, so I I know that he felt valued that day. Yeah. And it just took five more minutes. Yeah. From my day. And I think when, when you're genuine, this, this comes through. And, and mentoring, people think, oh, I don't have time to be a mentor. That's not true. Hmm. You have the time. You have five minutes today, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're so right when you say that. I think that's really, it's important to, to be present and to recognize what your voice and what, your, what you do and what you say and how that matters. You know, sometimes we forget, right? I'm quite sure Kavita and Azon and, um, and Katie, I think it's Katie that's the captions today, I can't remember, um, who um, when, you know, I try to personally be personable and say thank you and let them know. Well, sometimes I miss the mark, but, but you have to be appreciative of those people who are in your life um, because that helps to sell the narrative and move it forward. Um, and, 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 and it makes you stay on top of your game that they are supporting you in what in what they're doing, and so I think that's so correct. Um, 
And so that's really good. So now when I need my oil change and I don't have the, the <laughs> I'm money, coming. I'm calling you up. I'm going to call you up. Can you take this little nozzle off and let this oil seep out of here? And, and <laughs> yes. Vaseline for me. Even my handyman, he was in my garage and he said, who does oil change? And I went like, and he was like, oh, I thought that was your son. I'm like, gender stereotyping, gender stereotyping. No, 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 not in this house. <laughs> That's all right. Take that stuff. Don't put that in my house. That's all right. That's okay. So, um, so that's really a neat part of, um, of how we should be seeing the world. That um, if, if we, it's, like, it's almost like the biblical passage, if we give a person a uh, if we give a person a fish, they only know how to eat it, right? But if yes. we teach them how to fish, how to fish, survive it, right? And yeah. so we have to be able to move that forward, that principle, um, with regards to how we we see people. Um, and yeah, that, that that makes so much sense that you just take five minutes out of your day, right, to to can really feed into someone. Um, and, and you're right, it could just be a matter of just saying the right thing at the right time that will help spark um, the movement in them to see their own prowess. And you are picking different people. So it's not gonna be the person that you work with. It's going yeah. to be somebody at the supermarket. It's gonna be a student. It's gonna be somebody at home. You yeah. pick different people and yeah. you spread that acknowledgement yeah. Um, because everybody's working, everybody is busy, everybody's yeah. doing something. And you shouldn't look for a reward. And you shouldn't look for, um, like I'm a counselor educator. And so in counseling, when we work with our clients, we don't always see what we sowed into them, right? We don't see the blossoming mm -hmm. of, the, of the seeds that were planted. Um, but sometimes, every once in a while, we get a gift, and you know, we run across a, a former client or a former student, and the student says, "You know, you said such and such and such to me yeah. back in the day, and I didn't. It didn't resonate then, but it does now, right? And mm -hmm. so, those messages are, are are what I think motivate at least me to continue doing what I'm doing because I know that I don't have to." to know that it, it made a difference. I could hope and pray that it made a difference. And then when I get the gift of them saying, hey, look what it did for me, then it's all that much more meaningful. It's true. I mean, in education is one of the most rewarding things I have going on in my life mm -hmm. is knowing that they will never have this class again. They will never learn this topic again. And they, they might never cross paths with you again, but at this moment in time for 15 weeks, they're part of your life. You are part of their lives. And, yeah. and the, the, you have a chance. You mm. have a chance to deconstruct on justice. You have a chance to support justice yeah. and be fair and, and have a moment to stop and wonder. Mm. Sometimes I tell my students, I'm, I might be having a bad day. And then I hear you say something and I stop and I wonder where that opinion came from how what was how you navigate your life to get to this point to say that to me or to have that opinion yeah. and if i didn't stop and wonder i might be giving you like check or crosses like no way but when once i wonder yeah. and i wonder because i am having a bad day and mm -hmm. i'm not at my top of, of my game mm -hmm. it slows me down and then i thought well maybe you know they 
they don't have experiences like this so they don't understand what I'm trying to say yeah. um, but I think you know we all worked uh, our biases throughout our days and yeah. then we, we need to confront them and have them right in front of us so that mm -hmm. we know okay let me not go there because yeah. I have this preference <laughs> over <laughs> that one <laughs> yeah so you talked earlier about STEM and, and the need for women in STEM fields is, is one of your passions, I believe. And so, and there's also all these other disciplines that we have on our campus. How might a faculty member who is in biology or in any field really, how can they connect with the women's and gender studies program? These are the, to kind of bring forth a class or do something. I mean, is that something that you are inviting in even that, that, that um, can kind of help not just your program, but also help different disciplines um, to kind of engage and, and provide the kind of things in their curriculum that support women and gender issues? Well, uh, it's very nice that you ask, Ken, because you're not one of my faculty affiliates. And now, right now in screen, I'm going to invite you uh -oh. <laughs> to be one of our faculty affiliates. We have about 68 of them across campus, and many of them come from STEM, um, even engineering, nursing. Um, and they sometimes are dealing with topics that are directly involved with women and gender studies. And other times they're not. They might do research on the community um, or they might have an interest because they understand the importance of it. So these affiliates receive all my wonderful emails, participate in events, bring their students, uh, participate in committees for scholarships that we give. We have eight different scholarships for almost any student in campus. So we are really truly interdisciplinary. We understand the importance of, of the participation of women, fully participation of women in society and also of girls. So we teach three courses on girl studies. Yeah. So somebody who is in education might enjoy uh, being an affiliate because they know that we have that particular side of our research interest. But by being an affiliate is the first step because then we, we connect and then the sky's the limit. I mean, sometimes I, I have students that are STEM that they come to me for advising and that's not my field, but you know whether they are, they just want me to hold their hand yeah, and yeah. it's a virtual holding hand. Um, it's kind of like telling them, I know it's hard. I know there's hardly any men in your classroom. I know that sometimes you wonder, am I wasting my time? Mm -hmm. And I said, no, you're not wasting your time. You have the power and the intelligence, stay in that seat, keep it warm, thrive. Yes. When in doubt, thrive. Show it off to the world that there is a reason why you were accepted to this program yeah. and that we need you in our community. I need more uh, women doctors. I, I need more uh, women lawyers. I need more women politicians. Uh, I need them in my life. I, yeah. I, I, I like another point of view. Nice, nice. So, so as this person who's an affiliate, they also can teach courses. They can be guest lecturers. They can be mentors for your students. There's, there's so many different ways that they can kind of engage with the women's studies um, program. You got it. And we also have a junior affiliate for our for graduate students that mm. create community by meeting one another. And also they know now that there's a faculty affiliate that maybe they want in the research team 
for their thesis, undergrad or grad. Right. So it, it kind of connects the, the, the dots around mm -hmm. campus. So it's, it's really efficient and it's fun. It's fun. Okay. All right. So I got to ask for you too then because uh, <laughs> we have to do that. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only joking. But um, when you said interdisciplinary, it brought up the fact that one of the things that we're hoping to do in ODI is to create an interdisciplinary conference on our campus. We don't have one where we can kind of look at what the different intersections are from across campus, no matter what the discipline is, and talk about it from a cultural lens or diversity lens or inclusion lens. Um, I think that it taps into what you're, what you're talking about. The hope is to have a campus-wide event um, where any person, no matter what their discipline is, can come in and share what they're doing. We can bring in some um, guest speakers, keynote speakers who come in and talk about what it means to be interdisciplinary, how to really take it to the next level with regards to the work that we're doing so that we all feel included, right, in, in this process. We understand why what this is happening over in the chemistry building, what they're doing over there, kind of intersects with um, what they're doing in biology, what they're doing um, in psychology, what they're doing um, you know, in any particular position. Um, I think about what criminology people are doing certain things that maybe when they're doing forensics, um, looking at different things, they can tap into someone else on campus that may not have that same discipline, but can really feed into the work that they're doing. And so, um, that's kind of the, the thought process behind the, the conference um, so we can really connect more, know what our, what our peers are doing, right? We see each other, we work um, on the same campus, but we don't necessarily know what each other is doing. And so one of the reasons why this podcast is important because we need to be able to share the words of, uh, and the knowledge and the understanding of how this university as a whole kind of works. Um, so well, I- Ken, I like that idea, count me in. We really need to be more connected. Our, our minds are brilliant, but sometimes we're in our cubicle and, and we don't know, I mean, time passes by and, and we can really find uh, collaborators. I just finished writing a third grant this year. Yeah. And when you are writing a grant, the first thing that you think about is like, hmm, I need a sociologist. Well, let me find, oh, I have an affiliate who is a sociologist or I need a criminologist or I need somebody in, uh, in education. Yeah. So um, that's why knowing those players is important and, and finding maybe not today, but maybe in another year you go, wasn't this person doing that research? Maybe, yes. you know, I can connect again. Nice. That's very nice. I, I, that's, I, I appreciate hearing you say that. Um, I think that that, again, it helps to build our community. No, right. definitely. I'm, my students right now, my undergraduates just finished a work with a graduate class in public administration. Mm -hmm. And my students are in women and gender. So mm -hmm. who would have thought public administration and human resources with women's studies? Yeah. <laughs> So I've been looking at this um, backdrop you have, and I'm, I'm thinking it's downtown. It's, it's, uh, it is downtown. I'm in the middle uh, of the street. Right. Okay, now <laughs> I, see the, I see the building, the part that made me remember what it was. Um, so what's your connection to UCF downtown and how is that kind of playing into what you're doing in the women's and gender studies? Well, UCF downtown is, is dear to me. It's in an area that um, I, when I first moved to Florida, and I realized I-4 was going through a black neighborhood really bothered me because mm -hmm. I, I thought, and I knew 
that the plans were to put it past Winter Park. Yeah. And that didn't materialize. It went through Paramore. And so when I thought that my university was going to be, have a presence there, it made me very excited for the possibilities of, of, that, of growing that neighborhood once again. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have an office there. I don't really have a way of going. But when I saw between the backdrops, I thought, oh, let's push this idea of having mm -hmm. this university not just be an address, but a destination. Yeah. Yes. I want to see those people in, in Paramore to think UCF is for me too. It's yeah. not just, oh, there's UCF, like it's an ice cream place. Yeah. But not just an address, my destination. So that's why I picked it. <laughs> that's really nice. That's nice. Um, yeah, I think that we have to find a way to connect to all of our, our that's the purpose behind the, the interdisciplinary piece that we're looking to as well as like, you know, we connect with UCF downtown, we connect with college of medicine, we connect with mm -hmm. all our other satellite campuses and, and recognize that there are people at each that can help to kind of um, connect, you know, the, the dots and, and make, the, make the learning so much stronger and so much better. Um, when we talk about sending people out as global citizens, uh, what better way to send someone into society than to have had a microcosm of that right in the education venue that we have, right? Yeah, and think about UCF is like a small city. I mean, we have everything. Yeah. Um, we have talent, we have uh, youth, we have elderlies, we have the life program. We have incredible facilities. I mean, when I visit other universities and I go, wow, this university has such reputation, but look at these buildings. I mean, this is falling apart. Look, at, it probably has lead on the walls, <laughs> the windows. And I think of UCF and I think, wow, our, our campus is, is, is stunning. We have so many talented professors yes. and, and so many promising students. We forget, we forget. We are a really active town. Yes. Yes. So um, one of the things that we need to do, um, and uh, you, you talked about this, um, and one of the things that we're lacking at the university is um, faculty of color. We have, you know, the different disciplines, we have other ways that we can reach out. And that's not saying that the faculty that we have are, are not great. Uh, they are. Um, mm -hmm. But in your eyes, how can we bring more diversity to the table, uh, especially when you talk about women in STEM, how, how do, we, how do we, we bridge that gap? How do we get over that hump um, in terms of the, the, the lack of females who are, or women, I should say, who are in the, um, the different disciplines across our campus? Well, first we have to forget that notion that there's no minorities out there with a PhD that we can hire as minority uh, teachers of chemistry or physics or math, because that's not true. We just have to make an effort yes. and go to those schools before they graduate, when they're ABD and make offers and go to their conferences. Mm -hmm. And all of those things are done by discipline. And you know, as well as I do, that every discipline has one or two organizations that they're prime and they meet and they have interview sites. So look and you will yeah, look and you will find and bring them because th we need them. We need them as colleagues. We need to be more representative of our student body. Yeah. I mean, how many MCs and tennis do you know at UCF? So I, I don't want to be alone. 
<laughs> I it. want more company. Right, that inclusivity. <laughs> that's right. I, I need to feel like I belong, right? And so, <laughs> yes. so many times we don't want to be looking at someone's website and definitely at UCF, we don't need our website to look um, and showcase that we are not as culturally diverse as we say we want to be. Yeah, um, right. It has to be in every discipline. We need, you know, you know, there's this thing that I did some time ago where um, I did a, some work with looking small focus groups, faculty, and, and there was a sentiment that came out of it that um, once we reached the quota, and I'm like, what, <laughs> what, what quota? Why is there a quota? Why does, if we have one black person who's working in our department, we're okay. That should not be our mark. That, um, you know, excellence is excellence. And we, of course, we want people to have excellence within their realm. But at the same time, we shouldn't be so misguided as to believe that the only people who are excellent are, are not people of color. That's true. I mean, how many tall people do we need? I mean, it depends on the tall people's skills. And there's, there's, there's no same two tall people. So yeah. there's no same two Latino women with a PhD. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to bring different experiences, different personalities, but, but we're both needed. Yeah. I mean, how many students do I have telling me, Dr. Santana, I've never met, first of all, a woman teaching at UCF, and second, yeah. a, a Latino woman with a PhD. And I'm going like, wow. Yes. I'm a poster child. Yes. This, is, this is my students again and again and again. And I thought at first, well, it's been years. Oh, no, it continues. I had yeah. a comment like that two days ago. Yeah. Well, I've been in situations like that as well, where a student would say to me, you're the first African-American male I've ever seen K through 12 into, and I teach at the graduate level. So K through 12, undergraduate experiences, and you're the first time I've ever had any person of color. Um, but do, do you know the burden you have? now yeah or for everybody else and and the burden definitely should be shared we need and more so, tents can you, and, and so another part of the puzzle that we need to the uh, myth that we need to dispel is that because we are coming from a marginalized community that we don't have the knowledge base mm -hmm. to kind of do the work that we do that we have gotten there because of some quota uh we gotten there because of some affirmative action piece um, have you ever been in a situation, I know I have, where someone discounts your knowledge base because of you being a, a Latinx or a Hispanic woman? Absolutely. First, for being a woman. Second, for being Latinx. Mm -hmm. Because they think that some magical bullet came and shoot me and then I was there, I landed there. I yeah. transported into yeah. uh, a college level organization. And I said, I studied 12 years, just like yeah. a medical doctor did. Yeah. And that's why I'm called Dr. Santana. And I'm very proud yeah. of that. Yeah. I've been in a situation where one of, one, at a former university where one of the students went to one of my colleagues and said, um, can I trust what this person is teaching me? Ooh. Yeah. Ha ouch. And so yes, the important yes. part, though, is your colleague has to be able to fight back and say, wait a minute this person is just as knowledgeable and equipped mm -hmm. to do the work that we do as anyone else. And yeah. that's the thing that has to happen to help to create a community where people start to trust and believe that whomever is teaching in front of them has the right to be there and, and to make that happen. Yes, I, I have two, two words for you, thrive and share. 
Yeah. Once you're thriving, you also need to share mm. of all those accomplishments so that people around you understand how busy you are and why you're busy it's because you're accomplishing things. Yeah. Well, that's great. <laughs> well, thank you. You're so welcome. any other words of wisdom coming from Dr. MC Santana? Make sure to answer my email when I ask you to be an affiliate. <laughs> <laughs> and call me for your interdisciplinary uh, conference. But remember, hey, I'm, listen, moving, I'm, I'm moving to action. Committee. I, 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 I'm going to be putting together a planning committee for that. And so um, it's coming down the pipe. We're, we know we're working on our resources to make it happen. But <laughs> It's going to happen if I have anything to say about it. I wanted to tell you that feminism is for everyone. And this is a quote from Bell Hooks, one of the most beloved authors um, that I enjoy. Yes. So never be afraid to be a feminist. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. There's a, um, a, I'm a part of, a, a, of an association and um, the current president um, has what she calls Womenism Wednesdays. Very good, very she good. She puts quotes out there every Wednesday and she says mm -hmm. that womanism is for everybody. Just like you just said, it's not just, um, so just because I'm speaking about the truths of what women bring to the table, doesn't mean that I'm denying any other um, intersection. No. Yeah, that's right. So, um, well, I, I appreciate having <laughs> you be a part of the conversation today. Thank um, you for having me. It's been fun. Um, I, um, I learned a lot. And I think that um, it's important to be able to be open to learning, right? Um, and, um, and, and putting yourself out there and being invited to the table. So I just got invited to the table to be a part of, of your world. And so I appreciate that. And, uh, <laughs> and I'll have to figure out other people to invite to the table as well <laughs> when I get there. <laughs> I, play, I play well with others. There, there you go. Keep them coming. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. So, um, you know, by way of this month, we've got a lot of exciting things coming on. Um, next week, um, I get to um, talk with Belinda Cartwright, who is the uh, first lady of, of um, UCF, and she, she comes from a STEM background. And okay. uh, so it's going to be really fun to kind of talk with her and, and have an opportunity to... Um, see what life has been like for her um, um, in this world, um, especially um, as a female, given that it's Women's History Month. We also have, this is um, something that's gonna be exciting too, is um, one of the things we wanna branch out beyond just the UCF community. Yeah. And I get a chance to bring in the commissioner and vice mayor, um, Victoria Siplin. Very good. gonna be here next week on Wednesday um, during this time slot to kind of talk about, um, well, not this time, this is Friday, but on Wednesday at three o'clock um, mm -hmm. to talk about um, what's happening and how we as UCF can kind of um, also embrace um, the Orlando, the greater Orlando community. You know, we're not just here to just educate students and send them on their way. We're a part of a community. And so I'm excited about what that conversation is gonna look like as well. So, um, so thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you dropped a lot, of, um, a lot of good knowledge today um, <laughs> from bell hooks to everything else. And so um, I can't appreciate you more. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. I love yeah. chatting with you. 
Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And um, we'll have to invite you back. But uh, any other last minute plugs? You have a couple of different things that you got going on this month. So look at UCF events under March 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And if you are a, a faculty on March 18th, we have an activism online session at 12 uh, a.m. Also good. on UCF events. Good, good, good. All right. And so we have that on our website. We have it unplugged. Um, we have it out on our social media as well. And um, we invite people to come in and, and, and hang out with us and enjoy what, what the month has to offer. And, 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 and listen to Dr. Santana when she says, it's not just this month. Yes, it's every day. Every day. We are water. <laughs> we are water. That's right. You owe me a bottle of water. Or That's water. right. It's coming your way. Water bottle. There you go. Feminist water. <laughs> Feminist water. Hot dog. All right. That's going to be good. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, and um, you all, we'll see you next week. Thank you for being a part of our podcast today. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to our show. This has been Matters of Diversity with Dr. B.